Happy 2017. 2016 went by pretty fast, don't you think? But it's good to be here with you guys today. Um, 2016 was a pretty crazy year, don't you think? There's a lot of stuff happened in 2016, like a lot of good, a lot of bad. The thing that when I when I look at 2016, the thing I see most people talking about is all of the celebrities that passed away in 2016. It was crazy, right? A crazy amount of that's like the main thing I hear, right? That and Donald Trump, right? It's pretty crazy. But for me, I, I get to look back at 2016 as a pretty cool year, right? It was the year that we launched the River Church. Pretty cool. Also, also the year I got to meet a little kid named Gideon. So that was pretty good. Um, and lots of other children at this church. We had like a bunch of them. So it was a good year, right? For kids, huh? All right. But uh, anyway, so yeah. So 2016 was a crazy year. For me, I think it was a it was a good year, right? Um, I don't know what that was for you, but I hope it was a good year for you as well. And I hope that 2017 is an awesome year, full of blessings and and happiness, and really just a, a year where we walk closely with Jesus and grow closer to Him, grow more in Him, right? Get to know Him more, and so and uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited about about us individually. I'm excited for you for your life. I'm excited for us as a church the opportunities in front of us in 2017. And so um, hopefully it's going to be a great year. So um, do we have anybody in here that's that uh, was brave enough to make any New Year's resolutions this year? Huh? Yes, no, maybe. Yeah, any, I would like to, I'm, I'm going to break the fourth wall. Anybody, anybody want to tell me their New Year's resolutions? Do we have any? We're going to hold you accountable. I'm just kidding. We're going to write them on the wall. Anybody, any New Year's resolutions? Any? Bueller, right? All right, Christian. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, with that, lose, lose some weight. Okay, there you go. All right. Well, I have. I had a feeling that I wouldn't get very many, so I just I had some that I thought that I just I read these online. I didn't make these up, but I thought I would help you guys out. So, just a couple, not not a lot of them. This one, this person took it a different direction. They, they took resolutions different ways. They said their New Year's resolution was that donuts are now good for them. That's like taking the resolution a different way, right? Um, another one, I saw this one was interesting. It says this, this one, it says my New Year's resolution is to be less perfect. I don't know. Maybe that's for somebody in here. Maybe you need to just be less perfect. Um, this, one, this one's for the Kanye lovers in here. So I lost some of you. Somebody said, oh, Lord. <laughs> Kanye needs Jesus too. Um, it says his this this person's New Year's resolution is to love themselves like Kanye loves himself and to believe in themselves like Kanye believes in himself. So that would probably be good for all of us, right? It's a little bit too much. And then the last one goes along with Christians. He said their New Year's resolution is to stop hanging out with people that ask them about their New Year's resolution. <laughs> I thought that was good. So the three of you, thank you guys, appreciate this. Um, all right, so we are. To start a new year, guess what we're doing? We're going backwards. We're going to finish Philippians. Y'all don't believe me, do you? By the time we have our one-year celebration, we're going to be done with Philippians, I promise. So we are in Philippians chapter 3, starting verses 1 through 11. I know y'all are like, it took us two months to get through two chapters. How is he going to do two chapters in, in four weeks? Watch me. Holy Spirit. There you go. All right. So uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is protection for you. 
Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are his, the, for we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More of that, I now consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. My goal, this was Paul's goal, he says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection among the dead. That's like one of the best passages in the scripture, right? That's like, I, that's a, one of my favorites, right? Probably, and probably you recognized a lot as I was reading that. You probably recognize a lot of those verses, right? The one that he starts off with is one that we don't really hear a whole lot. Um, he starts off right in verse, verse one, following my brother's joy in the Lord to write you again about this. No trouble for me. He says, watch out for dogs. <laughs> watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. You're like, wow, Paul, happy 2017, right? This is this is not like a this isn't one you put on your refrigerator, right? Like people walk in your house and they're like, oh, you have a Bible verse up. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's not fun, right? <laughs> but what is Paul doing as he starts out? He's warning the church. He's speaking to these Christians um, in Philippi, and he's warning them. He's saying, watch out for this. He's talking about this specific group of false teachers. He's saying, so watch out for these false preachers who are teaching essentially a false gospel. He's saying, so watch out for these people who are teaching a false gospel. He says, they're dogs, they're evil workers, they're people who are teaching you to mutilate the flesh. He says, watch out for dogs. He's, he's, in this time period, dogs weren't viewed as like cute pets like they are now, okay? He's talking about dogs that were considered nasty, unclean, dirty, like they went where they weren't supposed to. They got into things they weren't supposed to. They were like dangerous and like, you know, rabies and stuff, like not good. So he's comparing these false teachers to these dogs. It's not, it's not Lassie we're talking about. He's talking about like these nasty, disgusting, imagine like greasy, mean, Bites you, dog. Some of you guys may have a dog like that, but just kidding. <laughs> Somebody raising hand. So, but Paul's comparing these false teachers to these dogs. He's saying these people are like dogs. You can't trust them. Stay away from them. They're just like you to avoid these nasty, greasy dogs in the streets. Avoid these people. Run from them. Beat them with stick. Don't beat them with sticks. Just get away from them. These people that he was talking about, they they had a name. They're called Judaizers. I think I said that right. Kind of the, the background of these Judaizers, what they were teaching was that this, this specific teaching that Paul's telling the church to run away from is this specific teaching that's saying, all right, you can, if you want to be a Christian now, you can be a Christian, but you have to do it a certain way. And so what's happening in this time period is all these people who weren't Jews were starting to follow Jesus. They're starting to become Christians. And so these people were called Gentiles. So what they were doing is teaching the Gentiles, which is everybody who's not a Jew, that in order to become a Christian, in order to get saved, you had to first convert, convert to Judaism, 
follow all of the Jewish customs, and then that would allow you through that process to become a Christian. That sounds right, doesn't it? So you had to follow all of these Jewish laws and customs, which had nothing to do with actual faith or like, you know, Jesus, in order to become a Christian first. And Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh because one of the laws that they were forcing people to follow, all right, you want to be a Christian, all right, first you have to become a Jew, you have to follow all these laws and customs. And by the way, um, one of the things you have to do is get circumcised. And so that's kind of why Paul calls them mutilators of the flesh is because that's kind of a barrier for like a 30 or 40 year old man to become a Christian. Right? Get it? And so he's not trying to be vulgar, but that's something that these guys that they were teaching is that, hey, in order to be a Christian, you have to first get, if you're a man, you have to get circumcised first. And so Paul, the reason he brings this up is because Paul's comparing them to these pagans that were in the area or in the surrounding areas that were teaching, look, in order to please the gods, in order to make the gods happy, you have to mutilate your body or you have to cut your body or you have to mutilate your flesh in order to please the gods. And so what Paul is saying, run away from the people that are teaching you those customs or teaching you those rules, saying you have to become a Jew first before you can be a Christian. Get away from those people because what they're doing is teaching you to be like these pagans who are teaching you that somehow you have to appease the gods by mutilating your body in order to get saved. He's saying we don't serve a God that, that, that says in order to get saved you have to do this. We, we serve a God that salvation is through Jesus. It's through Jesus. And so there's a couple of problems with what these guys were teaching. This, you have to become a Jew and follow all these Jewish customs before you can get saved. The first problem was that it had nothing at all to do with Jesus. Like they were teaching that salvation isn't about faith in Jesus Christ or what Jesus Christ had done on the cross for us. Had nothing to do with, with Him. It was all about what you can do. It was all about this idea of what really translates into a lot of our lives today. The second problem, it breathes this thing of legalism in our hearts. And what legalism is, ultimately, it be, it's this idea that we can earn salvation through our works. Like we can be good enough or do enough or um, give enough to earn favor with God. And if you think about it, that's what this ultimately was bleeding into. So like um, what that would translate into today is, is someone thinking, oh, I'm saved. Why are you saved? I'm saved because I go to church. I'm saved because I tithe every week. Oh, why are you saved? I'm saved um, because I'm good enough. I'm, I'm moral enough, right? And that's ultimately what this, this, these things that the Judaizers were teaching was salvation isn't about Jesus. It's not through Jesus. It's about following this moral code, um, the Jewish law, which involves circumcision, and then that gives you favor with God, and now you, then you get to be saved. It's totally not biblical, not scriptural, and the exact opposite about what salvation is, right? Like salvation isn't, you can earn it. Like Jesus says, you can't earn it, right? You can't earn it. And like all those things are good. Like going to church is good. That's why we plant a church. Like tithing is good. Being moral is good. But those aren't things that earn us salvation. Like those are biblical things to do. And as a Christian, you should do those things. As, you, as a Christian, God will call you to those things, but you don't earn your salvation through that way. And legalism is this thought process that if you're not careful, will bleed into your life that makes you think that you can derive your forgiveness or your salvation by your own religious actions and works. It's, it's ultimately this thought process of a self-atonement, which robs the cross of its power and puts all the power in ourselves, which is a huge joke if you think about it, right? Right? So Paul moves on. He's, he's going to, throughout the rest of this text, he's just going to keep attacking this idea of 
of legalism or what the Judaizers were teaching. He says in verse 3, So for we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So then he turns, he's looking at the Judaizers, and then he's turning and looking at us, the church. He's saying we are the ones, we're the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God. We are the ones, what do we do? We boast in Jesus. What do we do? We don't put confidence in our own flesh. What he's saying in this is that salvation is about Jesus. It's through Jesus. It's about what Jesus has done, not what we have done. So what we do as Christians is we boast in him. So it's like, how, Mike, how are you saved? Because Jesus saved me. Mike, how are you where you are today in your life? Because of what Jesus is doing in my life, because of how Jesus is transforming me. I'm not, I don't go to church and do this, this, and this, and that's how I earn my way. It's Jesus is doing this in and through my life. So as a Christian, we boast in Jesus and what he is doing and has done in our lives. We don't put confidence. It's, it's, we boast in Jesus, not what we have done. He says we put our faith in Jesus, not what we have done. When he says we don't, um, we don't put confidence in the flesh, that's kind of a weird way of saying, or his, Paul's way of saying, I don't put confidence in, my, in me earning my salvation. I don't put confidence in what I can do to earn my way. I put confidence in what Jesus has done to earn me salvation. Does that make sense? He's saying, I'm not boasting or putting confidence in myself. I'm putting my confidence and trust in Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for me. And then he says, and more importantly, we boast in that. We point to that. We rejoice in that. We worship him for that. He says, although I once had confidence in the flesh, verse 4, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, essentially being good enough to earn your way, I have more. So Paul's going to list off all these reasons about why he's a more moral, basically better person than us. So he says, if you, basically he's saying, if you think that you're good enough to get in, if you think that you've earned your way in and you don't need Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for you, let me, let me just list out some things. He says, I have more. He says, I have been, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now remember, he's talking to, um, kind of pointing to like his Jewish heritage um, to what the Judaizers. So a lot of this, you're like, what is he talking about? But it's, I'll read it. Circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Basically what Paul just did, if the Judaizers are looking at this situation, is listed off all of the reasons why he was a better Jew than they were. Like he basically says, look, you think that you're really moral and really awesome and really outstanding. Let's compare some notes. And he essentially says, I'm better than you at this. Like to us, he's saying, if you want to play the game of Christianity without the relationship that goes with it, I'm better than you at it. I can be more moral than you. I can give more money than you. I can go to church more than you. Like, like essentially, he's saying, look, I, I, before I was saved, I was in church. Every time the doors were open, I gave all my money away. I grew up a pastor's kid to pastor's kids to pastor's kids. I'm like an eighth generation pastor, right? Um, never cussed once, like not even in my head, right? Um, went to FCA, president of Young Life. Uh, went to Bible college. I kissed dating goodbye, right? That was a couple of you guys get that reference. Um, like I was better than you is what he's saying. I once had confidence in the flesh. Essentially, he's saying, I was like perfect, I thought. I was better than you. If you want to think that you can earn it, I was better than you. If you want to play the game, I was better than you at playing the game. Verse 7. So Paul lists all of this, these, these things of 
why he's better than us <laughs> at playing the game. He says, but here's why none of that matters. He says, but everything that was gained to me, I have now considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Here's the key. Not having a righteousness of my own from the, from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. So Paul goes into this beautiful transition. So he just kind of lists it off. Here's what Christianity is not. Christianity is not thinking that we can be good enough or give enough or do enough to earn our favor with God. That's what it's not. And so, he, and then he lists off, but here's what it is. He does this beautiful transition. He says, everything that I could have earned on my own, everything I deserved, everything I, I think that I could have achieved without Jesus, if you, if you stack it up next to Jesus, it doesn't even compare. Paul's telling us, like, I was the perfect Jew. I thought I'd earned so, so much, but next to Jesus, it's like, like I'm in the negative. Like, if we're counting points, Jesus is starting at like a billion, and I'm like negative a billion, right? Like the opposite way. And he says this, this really incredible statement that gets translated different ways, but he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I consider them filth that I may gain Christ. And, he said, and, and different translations translate this different ways, but, but it's, it's like some translated rubbish or dung or poop. Like the actual phrase for that filth is, is excrement. Okay, And so it's really crazy because it's kind of shock value. But what Paul is saying is if I stacked up all of my good deeds, if we stacked up all of our good deeds, if we stacked up everything in this world that we thought was good and put it next to Jesus, it's like excrement with flies flying around it. Stinky. Awful. Disgusting. Worthless. Something that you don't want to be within 100 miles of, right? And what he's trying to do is Paul's like, trying to shock us a little bit. And he's not trying to be vulgar, but he's trying to, to shock us deliberately into understanding that everything next to Jesus is worthless. Like all the good that we thought we could do next to Jesus without Jesus is worthless. All of the things in this life that we could chase after besides Jesus next to Jesus is, is worthless. It smells like dung. It's like Paul is, is looking at us and pleading with us as the church and as people who sometimes can think that we have to get into this earning our salvation thing and pleading with us to see the immense value of what a true and real relationship with Jesus looks like. Everything compared to Jesus is lost. It's negative. It stinks. <laughs> he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. So what he's saying there is not having a righteousness of my own, meaning not having a righteousness that I've gained. Righteousness being like right standing with God or um, like, like the ability to stand for, not having something that I've earned on my own, but one that is from God based on faith. Paul's saying he, he, has, he doesn't have his own righteousness because he's not lived a sinless life. Because he needs someone else's righteousness. He can't earn it himself to be in right standing with God, right? And this is something that, that we know, right? If, if you have sinned, 
you are broken. Before salvation, you're lost. You can't, if you've sinned once, it's over for you. That's really encouraging. Happy 2017, right? Only those who are perfect and have not sinned can stand before God on their own. I know I'm probably going on a limb here, but I really don't feel like that's any of us. And you're great people. I like you a lot. I let you hold my kid. But I wouldn't say that you've probably never sinned. And so what do you do, right, if only the perfect sinless people are allowed in heaven, ones who have no sin, that have a relationship with God? If only those people, what do you do? And I think that that's why this, this legalism thing that the Judaizers are teaching is so dangerous and so scary, right? Because what, what they're pulling is this thing, like once you sin against God, there's no way you can fix that on your own. Like you can't do good stuff. You can't go to church enough. You can't like do all the good things. And then God's like, okay, well you sinned, but since you went to church 10 times, I'll let you back in the club. It, it doesn't work that way, but that's kind of what the Judaizers were teaching. And if we're not careful as Christians, and, and maybe you'll look at your own life and realize, oh man, I have been thinking that way. That's something that creeps into our life. The punishment for sin is death. The punishment of sin is hell. It's not just do some good stuff and I'll let you back in. That's why what the Judaizers are teaching is so dangerous, right? So what, what do we do then, right? Well, you probably know the answer. That's where Jesus comes in, right? That's why this whole Christmas thing that we just celebrated was such an incredible miracle. The punishment of sin is death, but Jesus came to take on our punishment for us because only someone who had lived a perfect life could take on the sins of the world. He came to live the perfect life and then die on the cross and raise himself from the dead to defeat sin and hell so that we could take on his righteousness so that now we have a righteousness of our own before God. It's beautiful. It's incredible. And it's completely opposite of what the Judaizers were teaching. This thing that Paul's saying, run away from. They were saying, you have to earn it. And Jesus is saying, you can't earn it. Paul's saying, I couldn't earn, my, earn it on my own, but now because Christ has died for me, I can be in relationship with him. It's putting your faith in God, not earning it, right? So if you're coming here on Sundays trying to earn it, if you're tithing trying to earn it, if you're thinking, do good so that I can earn it, Relax, man. That's not how it works. If anything else, for the beginning of 2017, that's a pretty good word right there, man. That's not how it works. It's a gift from God. Salvation begins by acknowledging that you're in need of a Savior, acknowledging that you're a sinner, and asking God to forgive you and putting your faith in Him and living your life for Him. It's a gift from God. And this is the incredible thing about Christianity. It's the only faith in the world where mankind's in trouble, mankind is lost on our own, and God comes down to save mankind. Every other religion in the world teaches you got to earn it, you got to do good enough, you got to strive harder, to, and then we'll let you in the club. And I think that's maybe why we get it twisted so much, because we're looking at the world around us and we're like, salvation can't be a free gift, right? It has to depend on me. It can't, it can't, and especially as Americans, that's what we're taught a lot. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It depends on you. You got to work hard, right? Let's make a million uh, New Year's resolutions because we got to be better. We got to do more. We got to, we got to, we got to. And, and I'm not, well, 
Salvation doesn't start with you being better. Let me say it that way. Salvation starts with you realizing you can't be better without Jesus. You can't be healed without Jesus. You can't live a sinless life without Jesus. With Him, you can be healed. With Him, you can be saved. With Him, you can be forgiven. With Him, guess what? You cannot sin. Every other religion in the world says you have to earn it. Jesus, our religion, is the only one that says you can't. And that is a beautiful message. And I think that's why these resolutions are kind of an interesting idea, right? Because many of us are going to make resolutions this year. Probably everyone, even if you're like, you know, Christian saying, get away from people who don't make resolutions, you, you guys probably have something that you're like, I'm not going to tell anybody, but I want to do this, right? Uh, or maybe you're like, I'm putting it all on Facebook, right? Either way, good luck, right? Like, I mean, everybody, make, have you been, has anybody been to a gym in January? It's insane. Has anybody been to a gym in February? I haven't. I don't know. I never made it that far. <laughs> All right. I got a good one finally. Thank you. The point of that is like we do these resolutions and, and some of us are going to fail at all of our resolutions. Then we feel bad about ourselves and we feel like failures and we feel like we, you know, stink at life. And then we begin to think that like that defines our value because I just couldn't be good enough. I just couldn't be disciplined enough. I just couldn't, right? And we begin to define ourselves based on those things, right? And, uh, and, and it's crazy. Like we define ourselves about all of, all of these just dumb things. And, and if we're not careful, we begin to define our faith with God in the same way. We, we begin to think like, our favor with God or God, the way he sees you is based on this performance of you being good enough or strong enough or better enough or, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, or comparing yourselves to other Christians and being like, well, so-and-so doesn't struggle at all, which is a lie, you know, but you think that's true. And so you're thinking like, I'm just not good enough. And we begin to stack up our value by that. And, and some of you maybe with that, you're thinking like, I have to keep working hard enough so that God will love me or save me or let me in the club. And I just want to kind of release you from that, right? Like the good news about being saved is that you can't earn it on your own. So like breathe a sigh of relief, man, if that's you this morning. Like just relax, man. Whew, okay, good. He said it. Mike said it. All right, preacher said it. It must be true. I'm good, right? Just kidding. Don't ever just believe me for what I say. Read it. Know the truth. But breathe, man, if that's you, breathe a sigh of relief. Relax. Put your faith in God and then just follow him with your life. And, and I know that that really is oversimplifying it because here's the thing is he is going to, if you're going to be a Christian, he's going to call you to a different life than the one that you had before you were a Christian. He's going to call you to change things in your life. He's going to, he's going to break your heart of sin. And sometimes that's a really painful process. He may call you to some things that are outside of what you're comfortable with. But I want to encourage you, man, walk step by step, day by day after him. Just keep doing it, man. Step by step. If you get knocked down, know that that doesn't define how God sees you. That doesn't define your value as a Christian. Just dust yourself up. Get back up. Dust yourself off. Get back up. And take the next step, man. 
like so many things in life, that's, that's what you have to do in, in following Jesus. Sometimes it's just taking the next step. But take that step. Don't stop going. Know He loves you, and He's the one that defines your value. No one else, nothing else. Him. And He says that you're a creation in the image of God. That's a pretty cool thing, man. And then there's the other side of that, right? Like, so there's those of us who are going to make New Year's resolutions and just like stink and fail, right? And be awful. But then there's those of us in here who are going to like make 10 New Year's resolutions and do all of them and then be posting that on Facebook in the gym again, in the gym again, in the gym again. You're going to get ripped and all of us will hate you. <laughs> Not all of us, just the half of us that failed. We won't like you at all. But I'm putting it out there so you know. But the problem with that one, that's, that's a dangerous one too, man. Because your success will blind you to the truth sometimes. If we look at it as Christians, some of us are really good at playing that game. Some of us are really good at, at being morally awesome and being at church every time the doors are open and giving all of our money away. And like, like some of us get really good at playing the game, but there's no real depth in our relationship with Jesus. And you are in the same boat as the other people, except it just looks different for you. You're in the same boat as the Judaizers thinking that you can earn it, that you can be good enough or you can, right? Know that, that if you're doing all those things, but there's no depth to a relationship with Jesus, if there's no walking life with Jesus, knowing him intimately, like, man, you're just being morally good. And you're getting really good at playing the game, but you're dead inside. And that is almost a scarier place to be than those of us who fail a whole lot and, and know that we fail and are trusting in Jesus to keep us from failing. Because you've gotten really good at faking the game, but your soul is like dying inside. And that's a dangerous place to be too. So I want to warn you of that. That's, it's dangerous. We don't save ourselves. You don't save yourself. In faith, we try to often try to earn our salvation, earn God's favor by working hard. All right, but we can't do it that way, man. Let's us let us as a people, as a church. Let, let's just make a New Year's resolution together, right? <laughs> All right, everybody, raise your right hand. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. Let's resolve, man, that we're going to put our faith in Jesus this year. That that it's not going to be about how hard I work or how good I look or how moral I can be to try to earn some kind of favor with God, but we're going to, as a church and as a people, resolve to pursue, pursue a deep, real, intimate relationship with Him. Something that transforms us truly from the inside out. Because it, it, it both ways, man, if you walk with Jesus deeply, it's going to transform you. He's going to change you. He's going to push on you. But it's going to be beautiful. So let us this year resolve that we can end kind of like Paul ends. He says, my goal is to know him. That's a pretty good goal. And the power of his resurrection. So at the end of the day, he can be like those who are raised from the dead. Let us this year walk deeply and intimately with our Savior. And quit trying to do it on our own. Because then you just die. And it stinks. <laughs> Father, I love you. Thank you so much for um, 2017, God. Thank you for another week, another day, another year. 
God, I pray that you would help us as a people to put our faith and our trust in you and you alone, God. To stop trying to um, earn it, but, but do those good things or those works or be transformed because you're doing it, not because we're trying to do something on our own apart from you, God. Father, I love you. We want to walk deeply and intimately with you. Help us to do that this year, to be transformed from the inside out by you and your Holy Spirit alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.